Hello and welcome to the Saints Church Glastonbury Podcast. My name is Brett. I'm the senior pastor here at Saints Church. I'm so glad you're here on the journey with us. We're starting a brand new series asking the question, who is God? We're kicking it all off with a message called, Show Me Your Glory, as we dive deeper into Exodus 34. Well, good morning. Welcome to Saints Church. My name is Brett. My wife and I, Desiree, we are pastors here at Saints Church, and we are so glad that you're spending your Sunday morning with us. Now, over the last number of weeks, we've been looking at this idea or this concept of the holiness of God or the otherness of God. He is holy. He is separate. He is so far beyond what we could ask, imagine, or dream. And the reality of this incredible God of the universe is that God is inviting us into a deeper relationship with him. He's drawing us closer. You and I have an opportunity to connect to the creator of the universe. In James 4, verse 8, we're going to start right there. James 4, verse 8, James is near the back of the Bible. I hope today you brought your Bible. I I just want to remind you that when you come to church, you should bring really three things with you. You should bring your Bible. You should bring a notebook. You should bring a pen. And when you do those things, you can actually begin to write down and record what God is doing and saying in your life. You can document his faithfulness. We bring our Bible so that we know where it is, that the the things that we're, we're learning and studying together, where it's found. And we dive deeper into structure. This, into scripture, this Bible is actually, mine is like falling apart right now. You can see uh, that it's, it's literally coming to pieces. But the truth is uh, a worn out and a broken Bible means that your life probably isn't because we have this firm foundation in our lives. So we're, we're studying today the idea that God is inviting us into a deeper relationship with himself We've been looking at holy, 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 the idea of God in worship and how we worship him in spirit and in truth. And now we're shifting gears and we're starting to ask this question, who is God? Who is God? In James 4 verse 8, it says this, come close to God and God will come close to you. Come close to God, God will come close to you. It says, wash your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. It, this, isn't, this isn't complex. This isn't hard for us to understand. Every single day we're in a struggle where we are torn between uh, the good things of, of life and the things that we like and we enjoy and, and, and the pursuit of, of God. We, we feel like we're in this tension between it's not only always good and bad. Sometimes it's good and good and, and bad and bad or good and great. But God is calling us and drawing us into a relationship. But as humans that are body, soul, spirit made up of three parts, we have this wrestling. We have this turmoil. We find it in Galatians 5 and 6 that our flesh is at war with our spirit as, as we're being tossed to and fro between the things of this world and God. And yet in the midst of our struggle, in the midst of our wrestling, in the midst of our turmoil, there's an invitation. So when we ask this question, who is God? Generally, we start this conversation by engaging our intellect. We start with the big 
three is the omnis, omnipresent, which means that God is all powerful. He's omniscient, which means he's all knowing and omnipresent, which means he's everywhere at once. When we begin to think about God, who God is, his nature, his otherness, his holiness, we at times focus on the intellectual ascent towards God. And I would like to suggest to you and suggest to me today that because we're body, soul, and spirit, that we can engage our soul, which is our mind, our will, and our emotions. We can, we can engage on an intellectual journey towards God, but he's inviting us into something deeper, a spiritual journey and a spiritual pursuit into his presence. Now, if you notice this in John chapter four, verse eight, it says, come close to God and God will come close to you. And it kind of seems counterintuitive. You're like, what do you mean? I got to dr- come, come closer to you. Other translations say, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. What do you mean that I have to take the first step? What do you mean that I have to make the first move? Come on, that's not right. I shouldn't have to do that. God, if you want me, you come and get me. Well, the truth is he already took the first step. He already made the first move. If we're being really, really honest about it, he already sent the first text (laughs) and humanity has left God on red. See, God has been communicating over and over his great love and affection for us, how he wants to, and and how he wants to receive our love and affection. I mean, if you go and read like the book of Leviticus, just go read Leviticus. And God writes a standard operating procedures manual for the birth of a civilization that's been freed from slavery, that's living with PTSD from slavery and living in a desert. And he's done it. He's done it. He's reached out to humanity time after time after time at his own repeated suffering and rejection. See, God made the first move when in John chapter three, it says, for this is how God loved the world. Another translation says, for God so loved the world that what he gave. God in his great humility and grace has revealed himself to us. And he's now saying, come on, come a little closer, come a little closer, come a little closer, come a little closer. He's reaching out to you and he's reaching out to me in an invitation into deeper relationship. Swiss philosopher Jean-Jacques Rousseau says this, God created man in his image and man being a gentleman return the favor. We have been on this journey. The journey of humanity is how do we take God and try to understand him, but in our attempts to understand him or to comprehend him or to get to know him, we have tried to reduce him to the lowest common denominator. We've tried to pull him down to our level so that we could wrap our minds around him. But the truth is his ways are higher. His thoughts are higher. We will never be able to fully comprehend what he is. That's why he invites us into worship. Why? Because we become what we worship. I'm going to run it back. We become what we worship. John Mark Comer says this, for Jesus and all the writers of scripture, the starting point for all theology is the realization that we don't know what God is like, but we can learn. But to learn, 
We have to go to the source. We can't fully comprehend. We can't fully wrap our minds around who God is. We cannot comprehend his vastness, his depth, his power, his might, his majesty. It's overwhelming. And to be honest, it fears me with awe and wonder. It fills me with fear and, and trembling at his vastness. Even just the omnis, his omnipotence, his omniscience, his, his omnipresence. He is everywhere all the time. He is everything. <sighs> he is every element, everything that is good in this world comes from him. And he is inviting us into a personal, deeper relationship. To not only ascend the hill of knowledge to know about God, but to know him. I don't know if you have a bedtime routine with your kids or with your family. Um, one of the things that we do when we're putting the kids to sleep is Desiree and I will each go in and pray with the boys. And when we pray almost every night, I end the prayer with a line. And it's one of those things that I don't think Everett or Kingston is going to fully understand right now, but I'm hoping it's something that gets into their heart and that gets into their mind, that when I pray for them, I pray that they would know God and be known by him every night. Pray, God, that Everett and Kingston would know you and be known by you. As if to say, God, it's my deepest prayer and desire that my sons would know you and that they would know you as a friend. In Exodus chapter 33, it's the second book of the Bible. So you go all the way back to the beginning. If you've got those paper Bibles, we go all the way back to the beginning. We go to the second book of the Bible. We go to Exodus chapter 33, when we get an insight into what it is to be a friend of God. By the way, I should mention that as we're having church right here, right now in Edmonton at Saints Church, Desiree and I are actually in Slovenia and right in the middle of a national young adult gathering. And uh, we are so thankful for your prayers and your support as we are pouring into the next generation in this nation. Just a reminder, there's 2 million people, only 2,000 evangelical Christians, 700 of them are a part of the Pentecostal movement. And there's three young pastors in the country. And so it's a part of our commitment uh, as a church to get behind Slovenia as a nation and raise up that next generation of leaders. And part of what we're doing and in pouring into next generation leaders is, is part of what I want to pour in today. And it's what we can learn in Exodus chapter 33. We're going to the 11th verse of Exodus 33. It says this, inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. That's like friend goals right there. That's life goals right there. That 
the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend, that the way that they would interact, that the way that they would communicate, uh, that it would be, it would be as if they were face to face. It was just this free flowing, open conversation that they could just talk and they could just lean in and they could just talk to one another. It says, afterward, Moses would return to the camp, but the young man who assisted him, Joshua, son of Nun, would remain behind in the tent of meeting. See, what's amazing is that life goals is to be Moses who would talk to God face to face like a friend, that they would have this conversation that would be free flowing, open communication. But, but we can learn something from Joshua, who is Moses' assistant, who learned to linger in the presence of God. There is power of to, about being in proximity to the presence of God, that you might not be in that state, you might not be at that level of relationship, but you could learn to love and learn to linger and learn to be in his presence if you would just learn to linger longer. The proximity to the presence of God puts us in a place for personal relationship. The proximity to the presence of God puts us in a place of personal relationship. Verse 12, one day Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me, take these people up to the promised land, but you haven't told me whom you will send with me. You've told me, I know you by name and I look favorably on you. If it is true that you look favorably on me, let me know your ways so that I may understand you more fully and continue to enjoy your favor. And remember that this nation is your very own people. And the Lord replied, I will personally go with you, Moses, and I will give you rest. Everything will be fine for you. Come on, that's a promise from God. Everything will be fine for you. I'm gonna go with you personally. Listen, I got you. I'm gonna go with you personally and everything will be fine with you. Then Moses says, if you don't go personally with us, he's doubling down. Don't make us leave this place. How will anyone know that you look favorably on me and on your people if you don't go with us? For your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all the other people on the earth. If you've got a pen, if you've got your own Bible, you need to underline that line right here, right now. For your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all other people on the earth. The truth is, as followers of Jesus, the presence of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is what sets us apart as a people. And it's what sets you apart from your coworker, from your neighbor, from anyone else. It's the peace and the power and the presence of God that sets you apart. The Lord replied to Moses, I will indeed do what you have asked, for I look favorably on you. Get this, and I know you by name. I know you by name. We're talking about leaning in. We're talking about who is God. And I don't just want to know the facts about God. I don't just want to know information about God. I want to know him. And here's what I know. He knows me by name. And he wants to know you on a deeper level. He's drawing you closer. Moses responded, then show me your glorious presence. Another translation, he says, show me your glory. The Lord replied, I will make all my goodness pass before you and I will call out my name, Yahweh, before you. 
for I will show mercy to anyone I choose and I will show compassion to anyone I choose. But you may not look directly at my face for no one may see me and live. Now you might flash back and go, well, I thought they had this kind of relationship where they would talk face to face. No, it, it was like they were face to face. It was open communication. He would hear the voice of God. And he would speak his heart openly, but he did not see God face to face because no one could see him face to face and live. So God creates a plan for Moses to experience the fullness of his goodness and his presence, or in other words, his glory, his weight, the fullness of who he is. So Moses chisels out two tablets of stone like the first ones, Ten Commandments. And early in the morning, he climbed Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him. And he carried the two stone tablets in his head. This is Exodus 34. We'll go to verse five. Then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him. Come on. And the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him. I don't know about you, but I long for the day. Just the words of David, my heart and my flesh cry out where God would come and stand with me, where he would come stand with me in my struggle. He would come stand with me in my brokenness. He would come stand with me in my loneliness. I pray for the day where God can just stand with me. God, show me your glory. Show me your presence coming. Stand with me. Come stand by me. And he called out his own name. He called out his own name, Yahweh. The Lord passed in front of Moses calling out, Yahweh the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin. He begins to describe his nature, begins to talk about who he is and what he does, what he's all about. This is his self-revelation to Moses that's recorded for all time for all of us to understand. He lavishes his unfailing love to a thousand generations. He forgives iniquity, rebellion, and sin. He says, but I do not excuse the guilty. He's the God of justice. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren, the entire families infected, even children in the third and fourth generation. And Moses immediately threw himself to the ground and worshiped. How many know that when you have an encounter with the presence of God, that you often find yourself face down on the ground in worship. This moment right here in Exodus 34, it's like a press release. It's like him saying, this is, this is who I am. <laughs> let it be known, let it be established that I am known as someone with unfailing love and compassion to a thousand generations. May I be defined with unfailing love and faithfulness. What's most amazing about this passage of scripture in Exodus 34 is this is, John Mark Comer says this, that this is the most quoted passage in the Bible by the Bible. It's, it's everywhere. It's all over the place. We even see it when it's talking about Jesus. Why? Because when you see the son, you see the father. And Jesus is described as full of unfailing love and faithfulness in John 1. Describes who he is. This is his introduction. This is that moment when you meet somebody and you go for coffee with that person 
and you go sit in a coffee shop and you, you, you sip your favorite beverage. Maybe you go to milk and honey out in the lobby and you're sitting there and you're just like drinking your coffee. And all of a sudden you start having a conversation. You start like pouring your heart out to one another. And at the end, you like get back to your car and you're like, <sighs> I just love everything about them because they just pour out their heart and you see them. And as you've shared yours, you feel seen and known. And here God is sharing who he is, that he might be seen and known. Now, did you notice that God actually shouted his name as he passed by? He shouted his name, Yahweh. Old Testament scholar Michael Knowles writes, in the world of the Hebrew scriptures, a personal name was often thought to indicate something essential about the bearer's identity, origin, birth, circumstances, or the divine purpose that the bearer was intended to fill. So there was something about a name. So he shouts out this name, Yahweh. Yahweh. Now you might uh, have heard, there's kind of two common ways that this has been heard. Uh, You might've heard the name Jehovah. There's whole songs built around Jehovah. And then there's this whole other name, Yahweh. So what's the difference between Jehovah and Yahweh? Well, truth be told, they're kind of the same thing. It's just a part of our struggle to translate and transliterate the Hebrew language. Jehovah is the Hebrew name for God in both the Jewish scriptures and in the Christian Bible. And Yahweh comes from the four Hebrew consonants, Y-H-W-H, known as the Tetragrammatron. Sorry, Tetragrammaton. It would be way funnier if it was Grammatron, but Grammaton. Vowels were not recorded in ancient Hebrew writing, though they were pronounced. So Jehovah is a Latinized version of this name. And you're like, why would it be Latin when it was written in Hebrew and Greek, the original languages of the scripture? Well, that's because it was translated into Latin and then was was spread across the globe in Latin and then translated into other uh, languages from there. And we go back to the original language when we're translating the English scriptures, but this is where this idea of Jehovah or Yahweh, it's kind of, it's essentially the same thing, uh, the same name. God has a name. His name is Yahweh. Now, here's what's interesting. God can be a little mysterious. Have you ever found that God can be a little mysterious where you're kind of like, I, I think I would like to know more. Like in, in Exodus 3 verse 14, when, when Moses has this interaction with God and he, Moses is like, what's your name? He goes, I am who I am. Okay, well, um, my name is not Moses either then. I am not who I'm not. God can be mysterious. See, one of the ways that the Hebrews translate this phrase, I am who I am, which for us just kind of seems like a vague, mysterious thing that a superhero might say, or like a super evil villain, uh, though God is not that. But one of the ways... The Hebrews translate this phrase as whatever I am, I will be, meaning that God is how he is, and he is that way consistently. He's unshifting, he's stable, he's 24-7, he's reliable. So, for example, if God says, I'm full of compassion, then he is compassionate all the time. 24-7, 
stable on lock. If he says he's faithful, then we can trust it. We can take him at his word because he, I am who I am means I, I am who I am. If I say this is who I am, then this is who I am. And I, and I am this uh, all the way to the end, 24 seven, I am locked in. So he is full of unfailing love and faithfulness. He is locked in. He loves you. Oftentimes we think about God in the Old Testament. We think about God who's angry, but the truth is God of the Old Testament is full of unfailing love and faithfulness to a thousand generations as if to say you can't catch up to my love you can't catch up to me I so I exist so far outside of your parameters that my love goes on and on and on in Exodus 33 as Moses was conversing with God in this face-to-face manner He had a prayer. And his prayer was simply this. God, show me your glory. Show me your glory. As if to say, God, show me your goodness. Show me who you are. Teach me who you are. We can talk this way, but this is not enough. I need more. I need more of you. I need more of your presence. I need more. I need you to come with me. I don't want to go anywhere if you're not coming with me. If I'm not going there, if your presence isn't with me, I'm not going there. God, I'm I'm going where you're going. I'm going with you. God, don't leave me. Don't forsake me. He says, no, when he passes by, I'm Yahweh, full of unfailing love and compassion. I'm with you. I'm with you always, even to the end of this age. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And he's drawing us in all the way back to the beginning, full circle, what it says in James chapter four, verse eight, come near to me and I will come near to you. Draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. Come closer to me and I'll come closer to you. The truth is many of us don't want to draw closer to God because we're afraid of the effects that it might have on our lifestyle. Well, if I get too close, I won't be able to do that thing. I'll go these places or he's going to change me. Yeah. That's the whole point. We're being transformed from glory to glory to look more like him. We were created in his image. That every day as we draw near to him, we would shine brighter like him that we'd be full of unfailing love and faithfulness and compassion. That our heart would beat and break for the things that make his heart beat and his heart break. It is my suggestion today that as we wrestle with this question, who is God? that we do not strictly make it an intellectual pursuit of the nature of things of God, but that we would grapple with the question, who is the person of God and who am I in relation to the person of God? And in the midst of us struggling to understand where we fit, he goes, come on, come a little closer. Like a grandfather seeing his toddler, who's a granddaughter running towards him, he bends down and scoops us up in his arms of love. That's why Paul in Romans, 
describes our relationship like Abba Father, like a child reaching out to God. My friends, if I could convey one thought, one idea to you that is the creator of the universe, God the Father himself wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to walk with you. He wants to talk with you. He wants to be close with you. Imagine this, in, 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 the, in the garden, Adam and Eve, it says in scripture that they would walk and talk with God in the cool of the day. I always thought that was the coolest thing. That's the coolest idea, that I could walk and talk with God in the cool of the day. You want to know what's a better idea? He says, now that Jesus has come and now that I live with you, that you can accept me in your heart. I don't only have to walk and talk with you in the cool of the day. At the end of the day, when you're done your day, I can be with you every moment of the day. If only you would talk to me as a friend, as if we're face to face. All right, I got some pro tips. Pro tips to getting closer to God over these next number of weeks. Number one, seek the Father, not the favor. Say it again. Seek the Father, not the favor. Many of us, we ask God for things. We want him to do things. We want to receive things. But first, he wants to receive us. In Acts 2.52, sorry, Luke 2.52, it says, Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with all the people. In Luke 2.52, Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with all the people. Well, how do you grow in, in stature and in favor with God and with people? Well, Jesus grew in stature with people because he was drawing close to God the Father. And the more that his relationship with God the Father grew, the more favor he had with people because all of a sudden, as Jesus got closer to his heavenly Father, they could see the Father through the Son. If you want to grow in favor with people, seek the Father and you will find favor among men and you will find favor in every area of your life because you begin to very, very much reflect the personality in the person of who the Father is. Second thing, this is just quick, pro tips on how to draw close to God over these next number of weeks. Meet the person of God the Father. The Lord's Prayer, it starts with our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, holy is your name. The Lord's Prayer is not a shopping list, it's a surrender list. The Lord's Prayer is not a shopping list. It's a surrender list. These are the areas that we give to Him. And He aligns our heart with His heart. Now you might be thinking, come on, give me some, some more tips on everyday living. Some of this, this thinking is it's kind of ethereal. It's kind of out there. It's deeply spiritual. I, I need something that I can go out, walk out these doors with and, and put into my pocket and use in my everyday life. I need some of those like everyday life bro tips. Like go to the Proverbs, pastor. Go to the Proverbs and teach me some things. But here's the reality. You want an everyday pro tip, life tip. How I view God impacts how I live every day. How I view God impacts how I live every day. But get this, how I know God impacts how I love every day. 
You are listening to the St. Church Glastonbury podcast. I'm so thankful that you are here with us. If you want to connect with us, if you have a prayer request, if you just like to reach out, you can text us right now. You want to connect to the church? Text the word hello, H-E-L-L-O, at 587-400-2010. If you made a decision to follow Jesus today, text the word Jesus, J-E-S-U-S, to 587-400-2010. We'd love to connect with you online at saintchurch.ca. Have a great day, everybody. We're so thankful for you. And remember, the best is yet to come.